<laughs> That's Carlo. Okay, all right. Welcome back today for another podcast. Um, it is a live stream today. We're streaming from College of Veterinary Medicine at Michigan State University. Yes, sir. So it's a little bit different than we usually do. So Yes, sir. And we got people. I know. We have me here, and we have everybody else here as they're waving. And I got Carol up on the screen, too. My giant face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Ben's going to be running a lot of IT. I got so. a lot of things happening right now. Yeah. Does it sound okay yeah. on my Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah, it's that. It's all good. It's that for sure. You're just, you're just there, Carol. Yeah, in a very yeah. short amount of time, and we already had this trip planned. And as it got down to it, we're like, well, what are we going to do for the event? And we're like, well, let's have a couple of speech engagements. And we're like, all right, Friday night, let's do it, laid back. We're just going to run a podcast. It's been a while since we've done an actual official podcast yep. with, you know. Yep. Um, and we're like, hmm, how are we actually going to pull that off? Mm -hmm. And then Ben went super hard into <laughs> IT and manually rigged up this living stream unit, which is Living stream, live well, stream unit. It is. It Living, is sorry. Carol. Live. It is yeah. what it is, Carol. So, okay. so yeah, and then of course with uh, the Spartans here, you guys are also running out a costume contest. It yes. Being on the cusp of oh. Halloween. Yes, as everyone is here, I'll, we'll, we'll give a little pan here. Oh, I should have worn my unicorn costume. I have the same one. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, Bree, you're gonna have to explain what oh, you've got going on there because that's the whole thing. But yeah. So, okay, I'm Caroline. If you could see me, I'm the demasculator. I have nice. testicle earrings, you know, and I'm ready to go with my hemostat and my surgical kit. <laughs> nice. <laughs> ready to go. Ready to go. <laughs> ready to go. That's awesome. All right. Let's right, pan around. Does anyone else want to share what they just Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got it. Come on. Oh, I mean, you're all. Cool. Yeah. Tate's <laughs> <laughs> like, let me get my sheet out. <laughs> right? You never find my eyes. <laughs> they're, on your, they're in your head, oh. first off. This awesome. reminds me of the Charlie Brown Great <laughs> yes. Pumpkin episode. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. What's funny is I have the same costume for my dog. Yeah. <laughs> I do. That's true. Your All right. eyes are like uh, really far down. Amy, but Amy is, is, they're hard to yeah. find in the afterlife. Nice. <laughs> we got, Who else we got Luke Skywalker, circa episode four. Nice. <laughs> head to toe. Rosie oh, yeah. the Riveter. Yep. And Tiffany dressed Ooh. up as I'm not good with crushing it from Hocus Pocus. Yep. Sanderson sisters from Hocus Pocus. Oh yeah. yes. Nice. Get it together, yeah, Ben. Go back. I never said I was good at this. I mean, I, I can't. I, I wasn't. I wasn't entirely expecting the White Ranger. I mean, that. I right. So are you? Are you? Yeah. Are you meant to be Tommy? Tommy was um, green. I thought. Well, the green. Tommy was green. Ben white. white. Oh yeah. 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 Um, and which my boyfriend has the Green Ranger helmet, and he's Lazy Day Green Ranger, so I'm Lazy Day White Ranger. Okay, all right, fair, <laughs> fair, okay, nice. wonderful. And yeah, we actually, we, we quick ran into uh, downtown today and got uh, yes. Ben some Michigan I'm, State swag, I'm, I'm so he's simply going as a Spartan dressed today. Dressed up as Halloween. one of us. Yeah. <laughs> one of us. <laughs> nice. Doing the nice. thing, doing the yeah. thing. So, all right, so yeah, yeah we'll, we'll have to get, uh, I don't know how to do the Halloween costume voting situation. We'll, we'll, but we'll handle that. Right we'll, maybe if end. a couple people trickle in on Zoom, yeah. we can get them up on right. the screen here, too. Caroline is dressed up as, I'm assuming that's Harry Potter. Uh, but, Just you know, from Harry Potter. Thing. And, uh, yeah, today was going to be 
the the intention of today was yeah. to be all Q and A. Sure. Yeah. Open forum. Open for forum. Sure. So yeah. we have a crowd. I know a handful people. of you guys were at um, our two prior sessions, uh, but I guess I mean for some of the questions, I don't. I guess I don't know how many people are online just yet, but. Um, uh, honestly, we can literally talk about anything, and I, I think for you guys have, who have heard me talk either on the <laughs> podcast or in the last two days, I don't think I'm, I, I have enough wind to share. So, I mean, if wow. it's something where, again, we want to talk um, about any of it really from um, how we go through growth mindset to any of the stuff in the industry overview, um, if there's unanswered questions from the last uh, – you know, two day or no, it's twenty four hours, isn't it? It's, been it's a, only been twenty four hours. Fast twenty four hours and long somehow yeah. simultaneously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. So yeah. anything? I mean, anything. honestly, if you guys, I mean, we can start just talking about random stuff. I do um, enjoy random stuff sometimes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But for for you guys, I mean, honestly, open forum. Is there any any anything any any concepts we covered in the last twenty four hours that? Um, you guys have questions on? I mean, we can start shooting questions your way to... I mean, you could also stop talking for 30 seconds so that they can actually answer. Thank you. Thank you. I it's hard to do that. sometimes, Caroline. <laughs> you guys got it. So I have a question. My sure. husband and I were talking about that last uh, session we had. And sure. And we talked about growth mindset. My husband's a relief veterinarian. Um, he's shifted from... Um, working at a, at a clinic and he just needed a break from the schedule and he wanted to do his own thing and make his own schedule. Yep. So he gets to pick his clinic, which is great, but unfortunately there's a lot of not so great clinics out there. Yep. So he's stuck between two clinics and of course you have rules when you're your own, you know, boss As an about contractor. where you can work and schedule things like that. So he's got one clinic that he loves and he looks forward to going to. Hi, Hilda. <laughs> <All right. laughs> that he looks forward to going to. And he's got another one that he just kind of dreads going to. Mm. And he, he obviously still needs to work. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, how do you suggest handling? Because there are some people in the one he goes to that are just. They're, they're cultured pretty bad. Yeah. And there's a few of people there hanging in just because, you know, that's what you do in the field. Correct. And so they look to him to kind of keep a positive attitude, yet it's finding it very difficult in that clinic to do that. Do you have any suggestions on how he could handle a clinic like that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, that's actually a phenomenal question. Um, and I, I don't, I'm, did it come through the mic? Did you hear it, Caroline, pretty well? Okay, sorry. That's that okay. might help too. Okay, anyway. So, yeah, if, if it didn't come through the mic, it's basically your, your husband works relief. And, of course, in the relief circuit or when you're an independent contractor, you're going to be subject to um, all of the cultures of all of the clinics at any given time in any week, uh, essentially. Um, and I, I think there's, there's a couple of different ways to go about that because it's, it's very similar to what you guys are going to experience as new graduates, right? So it's coming out of school into a new environment. What is the expectations that are set? And I guess... For me, um, I, would, I would sort of investigate that from a root cause standpoint. So we kind of talk about root cause mm -hmm. um, as being, you know, a Toyota model. I, I Toyota models all stop, but root cause is, um, you know, kind it of... Is, yeah, it is technically the Toyota root cause problem-solving method. So yeah. it's just, you, in, a, in, a, in an intelligent way, you ask why the problem exists until you exhaust 
all of the why questions. So yeah. you're, it's similar to actually, actually, I would say that people that go into professions like being a veterinarian um, be, are actually probably more apt to be good at it because you're, you can't just always solve a symptom, right? You ha- sometimes the underlying cause has to go away. Well, then how do you do that in communication? And that's really what that kind of, that system helps you work out. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, to look at root cause and just ask why, ask why, ask why, ask why, you know, I think, I think a part of it is setting the expectation of what the job actually is when you're there. And I think where we often get challenged with setting that expectation is that we are intelligent people who can do a lot of stuff. So the question is, should we be doing a lot of stuff? So when we go into these practices, so whether it be as new graduates or as relief veterinarians, what position am I in to actually make change, make a change um, in this environment? Because you guys will be faced with the same exact thing going as new graduates, right? Can I actually legitimately make a change um, or at least a substantial change in, in, this, in this particular case, um, clinic or whatever it happens to be? So, you know, one I think is kind of setting the expectation is that when he goes in, what does he sort of want out of it? So going into this clinic, um, is he comfortable putting food on the table? You know, meaning it, can he go in, can he do the job, can he get the money, and can he go home, and can he protect himself? And saying like, all right, well, this clinic has really bad culture, but I'm taking a break from clinic life. You know what, I'm just going to go in there, I'm going to do my job, and then I'm going to leave. I'm not going to try to engage, I'm going to protect myself from the culture of that environment. So a little bit of sort of what do you want out of it. But setting that expectation, it's like, well, I think I might actually be able to make a difference in this clinic. Well, I think all of us can make a difference in every clinic. That's my perception. Um, But what are those actual barriers to making a change in those practices? So when he goes in on relief, if people are looking to him, right, that means what they're looking for is a leader. They're looking for a mentor. They don't have that in the practice currently. Um, And is it appropriate that as an independent contractor, is it appropriate that um, going into this clinic, is he allowed to be a leader? Meaning, is he going to potentially lose that contract if he starts ruffling too many feathers? Um, and I think it's a, it's a really delicate place to be. Um, for me, it's uh, a very similar path uh, when I had gotten into, uh, I was an associate veterinarian when I you know, went up to central Wisconsin. Um, and all I saw around me was exactly that. People were looking for a leader. There was no one there who was doing actual mentoring, teaching, leading of the staff, leading of pricing, you know, any of that kind of stuff. There was other vets, of course, who worked there, um, but the staff was constantly looking to, well, who will listen? Who can help me? And I think that's when we talk about root cause. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of like, all right, well, why did these problems even exist to begin with? Is it because of an office manager issue? Is it a practice owner standpoint? Or is it just a circumstance where like legit, there isn't anyone there leading and there isn't anyone there doing culture management? So if it's something where he's going into the practice and there maybe there isn't any direction at all, then he might not actually have a lot of barriers to kind of step up a little bit and be like, yeah, let's, okay, what are the problems? Can, can we work on this stuff? And as an independent contractor going to the business owner saying, um, you know, to continue to work here, it would benefit um, my process if we were more efficient. To work here, it would benefit my process if there was better culture. It would benefit my process if, so it's kind of setting that expectation 
Um, and then kind of creating that plan of, well, how are we actually going to do that? And I think what it becomes challenging is if you kind of have a bad apple, you know, whether it's an office manager or something else like that is, does that become an insurmountable barrier? And, you know, if he starts to try to make change, starts to make change, and then he himself experiences those resistance or those barriers, is it then going to negatively impact his ability to function within the team? Um, for me, personally, like I said, I had kind of a similar path coming in. Um, for me, fuck it. Try. Try. You know, it, what's, what's the worst that could happen? They get mad at you for trying to make stuff better, you know, and wherever his career ends up taking him, of course, if he continues to do the relief circuit, um, you know, but what if by chance it happens to be an environment that's receptive to the change that he does suggest? And what if that then actually means it turns into long-term employment? Um, and that's, I think we had talked about at the first session about coming out of school. What about if I run the relief circuit for the first six months or the first year out of school so that I can feel out these clinics and I can start to create issues lists and I can start to create and identify ways that I can make a substantial impact in that clinic. So it's kind of a very similar path, to be honest. Um, but. I think, I think if, if the shoe were on the other foot, I'd just say fuck it and just try to do something. But, but again, I think the, the big thing is, again, it's uh, making sure food's on the table, you know, making sure that he's getting out of it, he's getting that fulfillment out of it as well, um, and that it's not putting in more than you're getting out, because that's going to be exhausting at the end of the day. So, um, or at least like not a hundred and zero. Like, yeah. it doesn't yeah. have to be a perfect balance, but it yeah. should be good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is that fair? Is that yeah. Okay? yeah, I I would. Oh yeah, I would reiterate a lot of that too because like the first thing that came to my mind was working at previous practices that Riolo's kind of coached me through, and I remember that there was one instance. I don't remember the circumstances surrounding it, but I I think you guys had just done the podcast on growth mindset, and I had listened to it, and I had texted Carlo, and I was like. I'm really concerned that I have a failure mindset and that like I'm the problem. And you were like, no, you're the epitome of a growth mindset in a failure situation, like trying to do things and just essentially getting burned out because you have these insurmountable barriers. So I think it kind of comes down to, you know, cause obviously trying to change things and especially coming up against barriers all the time, you're going to burn yourself out emotionally. So you kind of have to decide how much energy you're willing to put into it before you're just like, what's good enough. Like, I guess worst case scenario is you end up as like a backbone essentially. Mm -hmm. Like if you can get to that healthy of a place in, in a workplace, you know, you're not, not trying to make, progress but at least just be like a pillar or a foundation for that practice yeah yeah that's actually uh yeah thank you for the terminology caroline do you, have you guys um for those maybe listening to the podcast or what have you um are you familiar with kind of our uh four states of potential and performance so uh maybe Maybe, yeah, a couple. So <clears throat> the idea is there's a chart i don't know if maybe ben you can try to hunt it while i'm talking but either way the um 
the idea with performance and potential on two different axes of a graph um, is when you talk about um, really, really high performance and really, really high potential, those are what we call um, star performers. Um, and if we're looking at uh, someone who has a really, really low performance and really, really low potential, we call those icebergs. So even the smallest iceberg can sh uh, sink the mightiest ship, right? So when we look at that chart um, to have um, really, really high potential and really, really low performance, we call those problem children or problem child. Um, and that's actually why uh, one of the questions for um, Demoline the other day was when I come into a job, we're already assuming we're supposed to have really, really high performance. Um, and uh, my advisement and then Ben saying, well, actually, everyone who's hired has really, really high potential. We assume everyone coming into a job has an incredible amount of potential to do that job. But um, when we say that we have really, really high performance and relatively low potential, that's what we call a backbone. Um, so backbones is actually a really, really good place to be um, in a work environment. Like your, your organizations need backbones. You need people to come in, do the job, knock the hell out of it. Um, but when we define potential, at least as we define it internally, potentially is, I'm sorry, <laughs> potentially, um, potential is the opportunity to either improve oneself or improve the team. So that's when we talk about performance and potential on star players. Well, if they're already performing really high, how can they have high potential? It's, well, they have high potential to be leaders and mentors. So I always say that your backbones um, is how we collectively fail as an industry. We have a backbone technician. They're amazing at their job. They knock that shit out of the park. And we're like, hey, can you come be an office manager now? And it's like, they have no idea how to be an office manager. They know how to be a, t they know how to be a technician or they know how to be a uh, veterinarian. Um, yep, down here in the corner. So when we look at uh, performance and potential, um, the line that we are constantly battling is fulfillment. The line of fulfillment is you, your star players um, are always fulfilled. They love what they do. They want to teach it to everybody, knocking it out of the park, have the potential for growth, have a potential for involvement, engagement, the whole thing. But when you look at a problem child, right, there's a line there. Either they're going to be fulfilled or not. So if you have someone that comes into the organization, the first two weeks they're bullied, they're disparaged, they're, um, you know, in some way, shape, or form, uh, there's unnecessary conflict you are challenging their fulfillment. And as you challenge their fulfillment, they're gonna jump over to iceberg. They don't give a shit, they're not gonna do anything, and they don't wanna be there. They go the other way. Backbones are the same exact thing. Backbones are there, they're doing their job, they're hammering it out. Maybe they're not gonna be a good leader or a mentor, but by God, you know they're gonna be there and do their job. Start to challenge their fulfillment. That happens quite commonly for us that have clinics that sell corporate, right? Mm -hmm. You start to have the foot on your neck, the hand keeping you down. There's a ladder to climb. Maybe one day you'll get to do a regional manager. It's like, fuck that manager job. So, but when we look at sort of what fulfillment is, is we have someone who's really, really doing their job well, i.e. a technician that we then make an office manager, and we start to challenge their fulfillment because what are technicians gonna run towards? some way they can make more money. They're all underpaid. So we're like, hey, why don't you come be my office manager? I'll give you 20 an hour, 25 an hour. Shit, yeah, I'll do that job, but I'm not fulfilled by it. I don't wanna deal with people. I'm here because I'm really good at doing technical stuff with animals. Well, mm -hmm. then what starts to happen? 
They start to challenge their fulfillment. They start to come down. Their performance drops off. They don't have the potential to really grow up from that, you know, from that position, or at least they have no direction on how to do it because the vet made it up 10 years ago when they started the practice. Mm -hmm. So as we start to pull down into that iceberg category, that's what sinks ships. Mm -hmm. That's what sinks clinics. So when we talk about, again, when, you know, I say kind of as a new veterinarian going into these practices or a leaf veterinarian that's kind of bouncing around, it's, this, it's the question, where are we gaining our fulfillment? You have to start there. How are you gaining your fulfillment? We say educate the caregiver and serve the patient. That's all we do. Um, even as a, as a, for instance, our uh, clerk of AR, um, her, she had a meeting, it was a performance review. She's like, you know, I'm really kind of challenged by this job. I don't know that I'm fulfilled by it. I don't really see people. I kind of have a desk job. Um, you know, I don't know if this is something that I enjoy. And I said to her, so I'm like, listen to me. I said, if you weren't here as our clerk of AR, we couldn't do wellness plans. We can't serve the bottom 20%. We can't mitigate our payment plans. If you weren't here, we wouldn't be able to offer services to the lower 20% of our clientele. She's like, holy shit, that's an important job. Yes. Fulfillment up, star player. It was someone who was starting to fall off. The fulfillment was starting to get challenged. So to say that, to say, what are we going to do as a relief and how are we going to come in? How can he make a difference? You might have people that are, you might have people that are waffling, right? They might be like, well, yeah, you know, I, I kind of want to help. I kind of don't. There's not really anyone leading around, you know, but problem children, um, that, that's kind of a, as we start to challenge fulfillment, sometimes, of course, an iceberg, you get a ton of unaccountable behavior. But with problem childs and um, backbones, as they kind of play on that fulfillment line, it's, well, are we engaging in divisive communication? Are we trying to build the team? Or are we kind of playing that victim rescuer, persecutor role? Do we hate the office manager, but why do we hate her? You know, why, why does she actually have an environment where people hate her or him? You know, are they not fulfilled? Are they an iceberg? Have they heard no so many times? No, 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 no. And that's root cause. Why, 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 why? Why was this happen? Why is that person in their position? Why are we challenged? Why is fulfillment down? And that's why, like I said, when it comes in, into those types of environments, you can make, you can make uh, uh, positive improvements anywhere. Mm -hmm. But you have to first define how you're fulfilled and then once that's defined, and uh, then, then you can start to say, well, I really want to practice as a vet, but I am fulfilled to kind of help people too. All right, well, it's going to be a tough battle, but if you're up for it, you know, assume that job as a relief vet is going to be, uh, and even, well, more so as a relief vet, it's probably going to be done for free because the, they're not going to pay you to manage their culture. Um, but that's where as a relief vet, I would end up saying, um, you know, to have me continue to work here, mm -hmm. I would like to see this change. Yep. You know, that, that would be one way. And I will help you with that change. Um, but, you know, and that can be part of that, you know, whether it's a negotiation or um, even just sort of an agreement between the two parties, you know, that's, that's certainly possible. So that was a lot. Yeah. So as we've, as we've touched <laughs> on the last, all right, good. We're all recorded, so you're yeah, good. It's there. Yeah, don't worry. It's there. I promise. <laughs> yeah. yeah. By the time you graduate, you will. It'll be second nature. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> what else you guys got? Yeah. yeah. It's on your so, mind. Yeah. So anyway. anything on that uh, as we go? We can run around the start. Yeah, huh? Kind of. Do it. Whether they're like problem style, child or their backbone, do you 
is it like you have like your like six months check-ins? Sure. But six six months is arguably like a really long time. Yes. Like a really short time, yeah. but also a really long time. <laughs> yes. Do you yes. find that the people, especially when they're walking between the line, are they showing kind of the same like characteristics when they're falling below fulfillment? Like, is there a characteristic that you look at that you can see is like a signal to you that there needs to be a check-in point and something needs to be like remedied? I kind of want to answer this one. Cause I, so yeah. I feel like because Riolo has caught, like we've had conversations about this before where he sometimes feels like because people sometimes view him as the boss man that he's separated from people in the clinic. And so he doesn't always necessarily know when those things are going on or, or, or like it, it hits him like a ton of bricks kind of like it just builds up and builds up and builds up. Yeah. And then like, then the problem comes to light and then he has to deal with the dumpster fire. But yes. so what we try to do, <laughs> sorry, what we try to do and like, I guess I've always struggled with this because it feels a little bit like, like, like the snitch. We talk about the snitch loop and how like you, yep. you, so basically I have texted Carlo about other employees and been like, Hey, I think this person is struggling. Like they've made comments to me about like wanting to quit. And like some of it's in a joking manner, but you don't always know. And especially when somebody is like, you know, every joke has a little bit of truth to it. So I try to like make, you know, mental notes about who makes those types of comments or like other employees who like we have one MSS who she has really low self-esteem and she likes to throw herself under the bus all the time. And so like using people like me who are on the floor all the time and I'll text Carlo and be like, Hey, I think you know, this is going on and, and either the SRM for that position or Riolo himself, like need to reach out to this person. And he's even said before, like, Oh, I do, I need to call them. Like, are they having that shitty of a day? And I struggled because I was like, Oh God, they're going to get mad at me because I'm like tattling on them that like, I like, I don't want people to stop telling me about what's going on in their lives. Cause they feel like I'm going to like run to the boss. But at the same time, like, we talk about getting rid of the snitch loop. And as long as your intentions, like my intention is like to help the people around me to try and help the team and like help everybody achieve like their potential there. You really shouldn't get, unless that person is, is uh, not, not acting accountably. You shouldn't get blowback for that because you, I'm not trying to say like, Hey, this person is, fucking up i'm saying like hey this person is really struggling and we need to do something to like relieve some of their burden so i don't know i think that and i don't know how you, I, culture culture is how you institute that i think is just yeah. getting the ball like rolling well, between to, your employees yeah to kind of back that up to carol one of the big things that one of the things that paw instituted and has been the i don't it's it's the thing that will allow any organization to grow, but it will also limit growth is you need ground floor administration. You have to. Yeah. You need, yeah. you need people that have the scope, power, and influence to make change be connected to the people that see the things that need to be changed. Does that yeah. make sense? 
Yeah. Well, and that's what we talk about with our inverted org chart all the time. So right. our inverted org chart, I don't know if you bring it up, but our inviter, inv yeah, it's fine. One was uh, enough. Yeah, one was fine. <laughs> our inverted org chart basically puts, you know, CEO, CEO at the bottom of the pyramid. So for us, uh, when we have our whole org chart and it's, um, you know, the CEO to this position and then ultimately all the way up at the top of our org chart is the veterinarians, the technicians, um, the medical support and our caregiver support. And for our org chart, what we talk about is this is not hierarchical for the sense of who is more important, but it's a matter of how we have a communication pathway. So this person talks to this person, this person talks to these people, these people talk to this people, and it cones down. And that's why we talk about just sort of administration needs to be ground level or really in the trenches. We need to be in the dirt, we need to be in the mud. This is not a circumstance where we have the corner office with a great view. This is, no, we are actually there really suffering through a lot of this stuff until eventually the whole thing is lifted up and we're all sort of benefiting from it. So Caroline touched on it you're nodding your head doing it, is that uh, the, the way in which you have touch points in a team is ultimately through culture management. And that's why when we went around our industry overview, that was the first thing after I was asked to leave the room, um, is that they decided... <laughs> the industry uh, overview still is formatted identically. We just turned it into a to-do list. Yeah, it's he fine. He dumps on this process every time because <laughs> he got offended. I didn't get offended. Yes, he fine. did. It's fine. It's fine. It's, it's not a grudge. It's, it's fine when you have all these great ideas and then they say you have to go in the hallway and that's fine. Carlo, but, you had so many good ideas, you had to go away so that we could digest <laughs> those ideas. Yes. But anyway, um, is, uh, culture was really the first thing that we worked on. And I, I kind of make a joke and you guys have heard may have heard before is that um, culture is the pill pocket to process. So it's if you can really fix culture, it, everything else is easier after that. And our culture is beset in change. So for us, it's a matter of every single time we do something, it, everyone's like, well, is this going to be what it is or is it going to change? And that's where you start to hear divisive uh, talk path among the staff where it's like, well, we have this new policy. Uh, this is the fourth time we've changed this policy. I can't. It's like, whoa there, whoa there. We're making it better. So it's even listening again to how some people talk when you try to institute change. It won't work, it won't work, it won't work, it won't work. Um, it's more of, did we think about, did we think about, did we think about, did we think about? Mm -hmm. Two different ways to present the same bits of information. So if we hear that it won't work, it won't work, it won't work, it won't work, it's like, so what problems are you having right now? What's, what's going on in your life? What is, why are we talking about all the ways this won't work? Or can we collaborate in a different way that it's like, all right, uh, I was talking about Gap employees earlier this morning. Well, I don't claim to see and know everything. I mean, I do know everything, but I don't claim to see and know everything. But where is that gap? And is it, is it a blind spot for me? Did I not know? And Caroline hit the nail on the head. Um, I used to be the guy that people went to. That, that, that's actually one of the most difficult things over the last five years once I transitioned to ownership. No one comes to me anymore. So, well, he's the boss. Well, he's the boss. Mm -hmm. Well, he's the boss. And I'm like, it, God damn it. Like, yeah, I mean, I am the boss, but like, do you have any idea who has the greatest ability to make change around here like that? Yeah, they, there were some arguments about um, cage cards like a couple weeks ago or mm -hmm. a couple months ago or whatever. Well, this one doesn't have a DNR tag. It needs to have a DNR tag. And there was conflict associated with these tags. I'm like, I'll go in the drawer and throw them the fuck away. <laughs> Then there's no arguments anymore, you know, like, and I mean, of course, I didn't. Uh, my, my lead tech, he's like, please don't throw the cage cards away. I'm like, I'm just saying, 
we can have change at any time, and we can remove conflict through any number of measures, but if we take it from the perspective of growth and how can we grow, how can we do better, let's do this together, that's where the culture part comes into it. Culture is the pill pocket to process. So if we start to look at how we're making significant impacts in the team and how we're making significant impacts in the clinic, the more we can work on those interpersonal connections, making sure we're what? We're fulfilled. Making sure what? We're there for the same reasons. Making sure what? We're there to educate and we're there to serve. So as you start to have these rallying concepts and it's like, all right, guys, I know we're having a bit of conflict right now. Um, let's just kind of get through this and we'll talk about it at a later time. We don't always have to address issues right at that moment when it's in the heat of the moment. Let's just diffuse this. We're going to come back to this when everyone's had a few minutes to just calm down. Everyone just calm down. But you're right. Six months between structured administrative performance reviews um, is a long time. And we don't have peer reviews. It's absolute trash nonsense, right? So here's what we're going to do once a year. Sally's going to get a raise, and that raise is going to be dependent upon how much shit the other employees talk about Sally, <laughs> right? Well, administration doesn't work with Sally every day, but those people do, and maybe there's a little bit of conflict. Maybe something happened six months ago, and they didn't see eye to eye on something, and now she's a bitch. Cool. I'm going to drag her on her, on her peer review, right? Anyone been in clinics like that? Workplaces like that, yep, <laughs> right? <laughs> it exists. So our, we completely, uh, and actually this is the first year, but we completely separated all raises from, from performance reviews. Performance reviews are a part of what? They're a part of our education system. Performance reviews is tier three. So tier three is professional advancements when we're every six months, every six months, every six months. Um, I've been alluding to it, but I've been... Uh, Annie, uh, Annie is our senior accountability officer. Uh, Dr. Katie, of course, um, is my business partner, wife. We've been working a lot on this concept of collaboration. And uh, 2022 is our year of collaboration. 2021 is our year of education. We always have these themes for each year. Um, but that's exactly what I identified as well. Six months is a long time between these things. And I'll tell you what worked. Six months was amazing when we had 15 employees. Mm -hmm. It was awesome when we had 20 to 25 employees. 30 employees, it's like, eh. 50 employees, it's like, shit. <laughs> you know, is that you really have that disconnect. When you're a small team, everyone's collaborating all the time. When you have mm -hmm. a small team, everyone's working together. Everyone's catching each other's stuff. Oh, you don't know how to do that in the computer system? Let me show you. It'll just take, watch me do it, right? It's easy to do when you have these kind of small, small knit teams. Um, but as we started to grow and grow and grow and grow, it's way too much time between touch points. So what we're really starting to work on now, and I believe we have like 85% of the groundwork down, um, is this whole idea of collaboration. And uh, in our org chart, we talked about it being an inverted org chart. Um, we have veterinarians at the top, and just under them are what we call supporting role members. So supporting role members have your lead technician. I'm the medical generalist. Uh, we have our medical support coordinator, and we have um, our caregiver support staff. It's actually split into two. We have our communications specialist um, and our uh, processing specialist. So there's like five, five positions. The intent is, is um, offset, but every three weeks. Every three weeks, we're sharing issues lists. Every three weeks, we're talking about opportunities for growth. Every three weeks, we're trying to identify, is this a systems problem or is this an individual problem? Because if I got a bunch of people that are like, that's broke, that's broke, that's broke, 
well, that might end up actually being a system problem. It's a huge gap. We've got to fix the gap so there's less problems. Or it's, well, this might actually be an individual problem, individual problem, individual problem. Okay, let's get them back through training. Let's get them more time spent with their SRMs. Let's get our SRMs on shift with them so they can do this stuff together to help them grow. So we're actually in the process, thank you for asking the question, in the process of actually developing that next thing. Um, Dr. Hilda, um, she uh, actually introduced um, the 515 to us. I think we talked about 515 in the mm -hmm. past. Um, we use traction, or at least historically we use traction. Um, traction, uh, if you get, anybody knows traction here, at least heard of traction. Traction is basically you have an issues list, and from that issues list you decide what you're going to do this year, and from that year you're going to decide what you're going to do this quarter, and then from that quarter you're going to talk about what you're going to do this week. That's essentially traction. 515 is when you're working on this to-do list. Why didn't I get it done? But more importantly, why did I get it done? And also, who did I talk to when I couldn't get it done and then I got it done? So that's 515. So when we talked about the every six-month performance review, that's actually more on traction. It's like, oh, well, this quarter, next quarter, what are we going to do? But most people, if they're in the day, in the moment, if, they, if they're task-oriented, they're not going to be thinking about what's happening six months from now. They're not going to be thinking about what's happening 10 years from now. They don't have a five-year plan. They don't have a three-year plan. They have a paycheck plan. So if we focus more onto sort of that 515 to be like, all right, cool. Let's just kind of talk about how the last three weeks have been. What was some of your challenges? What was sort of in your way? Um, and Rachel, actually, our clerk of AR, she uses 515 way more than I think any other position does. It's rather intense. It's, There's many pages. There's it's very many buckets. Yes. It's, it, it's like it's her whole job yeah. is all mixed into this yep. plan. Yep. And... Um, yep. It, yeah, it's it's she. It, it works for her though. That's a cool part about the tool. That's yeah. a cool part about traction strategic planning in general. Is it's all built around collaboration. The question was, how, okay, how do we then take that idea and do it to scale? Because right. strategic planning all started with a team of three people. Yep. That was like, hey, we have this idea, and we have these problems and these solutions that are like the mat most massive of scope, right? You look at the industry overview and one of the solutions is uh, you know, with the education system. Right. Like it's that, the, that's not a small task, right? right? So then the next question is, well, what do we do first? Well, now, yeah. how do you do that on the ground yeah. level consistently that, yeah. with people that don't, consistently with people that have the time, resources, and energy to do it? Yeah, and that's that whole bubble. We were like, we have to fix people coming out of school. We have to help you protect your self-worth. We have to get you day one ready. We have to get you into this growth mindset. Get out of the reprimand mindset. You guys are the future of the industry. How can we constantly remind you of that? Like, well, I can't do anything to fix MSU. I don't have that power, right? But we were fortunate enough with what we had done in the organization to have money as our tool. And that tool was, hey, Let's start to put together a program of mentorship to start to help people get day one ready. And then, of course, then birth the house system. So for us, it's, it's, that's why, again, it's root cause. Well, I can't make much of a difference specifically in the university, but what's my workaround? How do I get around that? And it's like, oh, well, they're trying to do this thing, and I kind of want to do this thing, and then it just plays out. So that's when you kind of get through root cause. You try to look at it from every single angle, but you never give up. And that's where a part, I mean, we're here to serve the patient, educate the caregiver. How do you think I'm going to do that? 
by teaching more people how to serve the patient, educate the caregiver. Mm -hmm. I'm still fulfilled by those two things, but I gain more fulfillment by showing you all how to do it. That's, that's how I see my future. Yeah, there was definitely a day where I thought it was super cool to, you know, diagnose conditions and write out scripts and do surgeries and all those fancy things. And it is still really awesome, right? But I can help more the more I give back. And so that's what kind of how the education bubble sort of grew, mm-hmm. um, you know, as we kind of made it around. Mm-hmm. So, but I know this is all sort of stemming from, so you guys do performance reviews every six months. How does that work? But to come back to it is it works when you're small. Right, right. And, and <laughs> so then as you grow, and then you when need... you're growing, it's, you realize that it kind of starts to not work. Yeah. Because the, 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 what was it, the gap employees? Yes. Yeah. The gaps get wider. Yeah. Because yeah. you can, you can, coach your way around the gap when you have a team of 15 you can't do it when it's 50 there's yeah. just not enough time yeah there's, it's and that's your ultimately defining resource yeah so yep yep yep, yep. what else you guys got yeah good. i'm curious about something can i ask a question <laughs> to, to me or them them okay good if anyone would want to share what are you guys most afraid of for when after after you graduate what's the fear that sticks in your head anyone Go for it. Techs not trusting me. Te- so specifically technicians? Yeah. Is, so there a, is there a specific reason for that? I just feel like at certain places that I've worked, sometimes maybe the techs don't mean to say it, but they kind of, especially with new graduates, say, why are we going to do that? Why would we do that? That's dumb or whatever. And I'm just like, mm. oh, that's going to be me soon. And I don't really, like, I don't, I don't think they mean it necessarily, but it's just... Yeah. Maybe it's a thought that they have. This is the way we've always done it. This is the way we're always going to do it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, that is a foundational issue in our industry. And that's where when you look at industry overview, that's antiquated business practices. It's a complete lack of what? Growth mindset. So, um, you know, the same thing. uh, It's really when any new person enters the team. And I... uh, have had this fear for quite some time. Um, And I think it's starting to come to fruition. But um, my concern is that in growing an organization like we have, um, my fear is institutionalized medicine. I hate it. I hate the idea that, I mean, granted, Michigan State's the best, but I hate the idea of, well, this is the way they do it at Michigan State. So this is the only way that it should be done, all right? This institution has been around a very, very long time. You know what has not been around a long time? Paw Health. But for me, in the back of my mind, I'm like, the day is gonna come where we become institutionalized. The day is gonna come where that's the way we do it at Paw. That's the way we do that here, right? As we see at any indoctrinated practice for all time, because that was the whole reason why we bought the emergency clinic to begin with. I'm curious, are you specifically referring to the medical management of patients? All of it. All of it. All okay. of it. I would say it is most um, obvious when it is the medical management of patients. We give this medication IV versus we give this medication IM. We don't do IV catheters that way. I don't tape it this way. You know, I mean, it's just any of it. We don't, why are you doing that type of neuter versus this type of neuter? You know, so it's all kind of the same thing. So what made PAW and has made PAW great is our willingness to throw away the cage cards. You know, coming into, uh, because I was an associate vet there 2008 to 2015, 
um, and we took over, it was how much can we change in the least amount of time? Mm -hmm. How fast can we change stuff responsibly? Well, if you're going to change stuff responsibly, you better have a backup plan. And that backup plan must also have a backup plan. So what I usually do is I think of a problem, I think of a solution, I need a backup plan to that solution, I need a backup plan to that solution, and that's going to be the solution I start with because I've already thought about all the ways that it's gonna fail, so why would I do this one that I thought was a great idea? I know it might sound a little crazy, but you just keep going, root cause, root cause, root cause. But again, my ultimate fear was, when is the day going to come that there is conflict in tasks? And that's the two big things that I've been focusing on the last six months easy, is how can we collaborate better? How can we minimize task conflict? So it's not why are we doing this. The why is serve the patient, educate the caregiver. The how is, well, why did you draw blood from a, a cephalic instead of a saphenous versus a jugular? Well, now we're just arguing about the how. Mm -hmm. Well, we give that medication IM, why are you giving it IV? Well, mm -hmm. it's just a task, okay? Does, does giving it this route affect our patient servitude? Does giving it this route affect our way of educating the caregiver? Or are we just sort of stuck in our ways that that's how we do things here? So my fear ultimately is when we're met, to answer your question, when you're met with that, I'm afraid techs are going to trust me in what I do. The bigger question is, do, do the technicians have a failure mindset? Because it well, has less to do with you. And I, and I also think, okay, so that goes both ways. Because I think our industry as a whole has also failed technicians a lot. Yeah, sure. Right. Um, I mean, hierarchy has failed them a lot. There's a lot of really brilliant technicians out there. And I mean, look, we, we refer to them generally as veterinary technicians. What's a technician? Like they're, you know, Carlo tries to use the term vet nurse as much as possible. And I know MSU uses vet nurse as much as possible. Um, I've not heard that term widely used. We probably need to try and use it more widely because at a minimum they are nurses um, and are capable of a lot more than that, well, more um, than that yes, we you know, in, in the scope <laughs> of what they do. So I think, so when I started at PAW part-time and then full-time, I relied on the experienced technicians that were there to kind of show me the ropes because there's a lot of procedures and things that they do and have done all the time that I'm like, well, shit, this is my first time doing this. So I think rather than, you know, obviously Carlo's right. There's going to be some, some people, regardless of what position they hold that have a failure mindset and are going to present themselves as like an opposition to you. But there's also people that I think you can create a dialogue with and say, Hey, like, thank you for challenging me on, you know, this particular thing. Can we collaborate? Can you tell me, you know, I do that a lot with, you know, the technicians at PAW aren't afraid to challenge me on some of the things that I want to do and are like, you know, you're, you want to do it this way. Does it change your treatment plan significantly if we do it this way, because it makes my part of the process more efficient or, or makes, you know, this easier. And I'm like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Let's do it your way or vice versa. If they're like, Hey, can we change it and do it this way? Because it's easier for me. And I'm like, well, no, like patient care dictates that we do it the way that I want to do it, even though it's a huge pain in the ass. 
So I think, and, you know, they're, they're still scientifically minded. They still understand, you know, sometimes they get a little lofty. Molly likes to bash me for using too many words. She's like, you're using too many words. <laughs> Use less words. But like, you, you can explain it to them. You can try to collaborate and, and say, we're both here to serve the patient. And how do we do that best? And compromise essentially so you know building that trust you know because anytime you work somewhere new i think it's sometimes hard to build those relationships um you want everybody to be open with you when you first get there but sometimes it does take a little bit and like i said the issue is that historically a lot of those technicians have been bullied by doctors and so not that it's fair, but they're going to be more skeptical of like, is this going to be some other asshole vet that's going to try to tell me off or tell me I'm wrong or tell me, you know, I'm, I'm not as smart as them. And how, you know, how can we make that dialogue more open, essentially? Well, I, one of the things that I'd like to add to that, Caroline, if you don't mind, is... So there's, I would, I, I am looking at it like a sliding scale of where your confidence is versus, versus kind of where that tech, how that technician is communicating with you. Because um, let's just assume that they're going to be maybe not combative, but just assertive, right? Now, may, they, maybe they're being assertive because they're really, really well-defined in what they, uh, they want to do, and, you know, they, they know good ways to do things because they're experienced. Um, if you have low confidence and you suggest something to them that may be outside of that scope and they come at you and they say, or we can do it this way, if your confidence sucks, you're probably right. going to feel more like that's an attack. So the thing you can control in that environment is all right. And this goes, uh, Alexia actually dropped a, a thing in the comments about um, her fear of not feeling confident in her abilities. You have to have a minimum standard of confidence to stick up for the decisions that you're making because ultimately it's your ass. Now, the other side of that is, okay, you feel like your confidence is in a good place. Now, if you stand up for it and then you feel like you're getting kicked in the chest, even with, you know, standing up for yourself because you have somebody that's now actually being combative and pushing back at you, then the question is, how do you solve it? Because that's when you call Carlo. That's when, right, <laughs> right. Uh, and, and in reality, most associate vets, especially the first few years out of school, you're not necessarily going to have, number one, the power to solve that type of a problem on your own but also maybe not the skill set and that's okay. Like you're spending seven, eight years of your life yeah. learning so much stuff about making that decision. Sometimes when it gets into this communicative and culture based stuff, you don't have the experience. You don't necessarily have the tool, you know, just the stuff that falls into your head in, in practice and all that. And that's okay. Like there's ways to get to those solutions just, I would say, um, don't bite off way more than you can chew because sometimes you can kick that can so far down the road that it becomes um, unreturnable. Like if you, if you make conflict that's so bad that mm -hmm. it's just there's no getting back from it, 
it sucks. And then it's like, well, shit, now we're here. And now it's either I have to quit or they have to quit or we have to hate each other because right. this task-based conflict turned into interpersonal conflict. Um, that's one thing that we've talked to the captains about a little bit is the yeah. difference between those two things. But that's the just do it intelligently and know when you're at your limits. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I make the joke, that's when you call Carlo. But the, the reality is it's there hopefully, and I'm going to tell you that in most clinics there aren't, but hopefully there is enough of, there are enough tools present meaning that for us, like we have our SRMs, right? So the SRMs are a tool. They are individuals that are there to help you. We have a leadership team, that's a tool. There are people there to help you. So it's hopefully you're you know, in that environment if there is some task-based conflict um, with the medical support staff, whether it be assistants or technicians or nurses, or whatever, is um, hopefully there are tools in that environment for you to be heard. And I think that's the other thing as well. And that's why, uh, like we were saying, is that we want more, in our organization, we want more people to be heard every three weeks, you know, really making sure that we're staying on top of that. So you could potentially, so part of your fear for uh, uh, nurses or technicians trusting you um, could actually be a conversation at the interview point to be like, so how often are you guys doing performance reviews? How often, who am I paired with? Who's my mentor? Because performance reviews and mentors or mentor-mentee relationships, those are all tools to ensure your success. So if you start to meet with conflict, you start to have some of these issues, who is it with whom I can talk? And uh, Caroline had actually said it a few times, um, is uh, it's this concept of the snitch loop. Um, and the snitch loop is ultimately people who are trying to be accountable, but fear for the wrath of those who are unaccountable. So they choose to not engage accountability based on that fear of wrath from the unaccountable. Killing the snitch loop is, uh-uh, uh-uh, we're talking about this and we need to come to a resolution because ultimately in the end, if we're having unaccountable conflict, then we're not serving patients. Then we're, we're not effectively educating. So that would be potentially part of your interview process as well mm -hmm. as identify your resources and identify your tools immediately upon hire. Who is it with whom I can work? You or know, beforehand. Yeah. Well, yes, yes, <laughs> right? yes. Yeah. That's a, yeah. Two things. Number one, the snitch loop uh, podcast episode 37. Why I remember that. Sorry. <laughs> That's um, disgusting. I know. Uh, <laughs> there's a full kind of like overview of what that means. So, yeah. Um, I, we're trying to keep the short version. Uh, second is um, take the opportunities to engage. Like this is an idea. I'm going to throw this out as an idea because I'm lit. This is what All we right. do on the podcast. You guys, we have ideas and that's why we have microphones because when we sometimes have good ideas, we're <laughs> like, thank God we recorded that. Yeah. Um, if, especially like later in your clinicals, like offer a solution that you know is bad. If it's somewhere you think that you might want to work, how do they approach it? Intentionally sure. make a mistake. Yeah. Like, don't try to be perfect. Try to be imperfect. I, this is a crazy idea that I'm literally coming up with in the moment. <laughs> but see how they react to it. Yeah. Like, you know, don't make it so obvious, right? Yeah. But see what happens. Because if it's like, that's stupid. We've already moved all the way away from task conflict and into interpersonal conflict because now they don't like you as a person because of a decision you made. When in fact, what they're really disagreeing with is the what and the how and the when. 
but they don't realize it. And I'll tell you what, if you got a team of one, two, five, 12 people that are all like that, don't go there. Yeah. You won't like it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, as a word to the wise, anyone who is growing a family environment, and that's always, it's like, we're, that's all a another big, thing. we're a big family here. It's like, yeah, it's great. Some places do it well. I don't talk to half my cousins anymore. Some places <laughs> do the family environment thing well, but it's yeah. exceptionally hard to do, and most of them use it as an excuse for shitty right. culture. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's actually, um, yeah, I mean, we make the joke about not having a family environment. But, I mean, again, I work with my wife. My sister's our AR manager. I mean, it's like there's family in the business, all right? Mm -hmm. But the uh, ultimate takeaway is that uh, you, you just want to make sure that we're not giving concessions uh, based on that status. It's like, again, right. check your shit at the door. We are different people when we are in this building than different people when we're outside of this building. And, you know, making sure that we don't have... Um, uh, what is it called? Nepotism. Uh, nepotism. Thank you. Yeah, making sure that that doesn't exist as well. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't say necessarily be afraid if there are uh, family within the same clinic. It's more of is that their pitch? Right. Is the is the you can have family-owned businesses. That's actually what it is. We pitch that yeah. you know keep things local, have mm -hmm. local influence. You know, I, I think that. Um, our industry has a whole breadth of jobs available for any family members of any skill set. Mm -hmm. um, but the pitch is not that that is what binds us together. Because if being a family binds us together, that is not fulfillment. Or at least not as we define it, because fulfillment for us is educate the caregiver and serve the patient. But if, the, uh, if it's family that binds us, that gets a little toxic a little quick. Mm -hmm. And very resistant to change and things like that. So... Uh, another, Good question. Another thing that Alexia dropped in there, and this is not a, a, a concern, it's an idea. Um, so she asked if uh, we could assign uh, specific vets to specific houses as resources. Um, the short answer to that is I think we'd love to. The long answer is we don't have the resources to do that right uh, and that's what that's oh, why you that mean like so paw to each yeah, of the houses yeah yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, specifically oh. designating um, one day that would be a great hope I could I could pitch it to the vets they it's might. Pot you should you, you should yeah. probably pitch it to them yeah consider it option. pitched yeah there, there we go. go see you guys changing yeah. lives one yeah. at a time that's right yeah it's certainly possible I mean I'm always one to ask a question so that's, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, Caroline can you remind me. I can put it on our to-do list. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's going to yes. go on her 515, guys. Yes, yes, yeah. Yes. 515 yep. slash traction, because yeah. I don't know the difference, if I'm honest. I'm still struggling with that. Yeah, that's, that's fine. fine. That's, that's fine. fine. There is a whole thing in the education portal on it, but it's all right. Um. <laughs> that was some shade. <laughs> Just calling me out. <laughs> nah, it's all right. Um, but, yeah, we do Microsoft Teams for a lot of the stuff, so. Yeah. Um, it actually has been, it's actually been a pretty nice uh, piece it's, of software. That's been us. the best piece of software for that process, yeah. which is amazing because it's yeah. Microsoft. Yeah, yeah. What else you guys got for questions? What's on your mind? Demo line. I wasn't really a question. I was just going to add on to the fear thing. Yeah, <laughs> do it. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Your one goal or your five goal in year one, then one. Yeah. I don't know. For me, yeah. 
there's so much potential of where I could be headed. And I want, I'm a planner. I want to plan. Yeah. Where I want to be. And it's a struggle because, like, I don't know where I'm going to end up. It, I don't know yeah. what 20 years from now looks like. And yeah. I want to know. Yeah. But it could be, like, something extraordinary. I just, it makes me nervous, but yeah. in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. It's exciting. You know, and I, I think, um, I mean, even to, even to play off of that a little bit, um, you know, when we were building our new building, uh, we went from uh, 2,000 square feet to about 11,000 square feet. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> Caroline, thank you, thank you. Um, you know, we didn't, you know, I mean, that was like, holy crap, we're putting, you, you know, three million into a building. How do I know what I'm building? How do I know what is going to be right? How do I know if the dimensions are correct? Because once we start laying concrete, that's the end of it. We are locked into what these are. Um, so it's very, it's, it's very tangible if you make a wrong decision in the planning stage, because planning is all about planning. Well, halfway through the build process, we had to move one wall four feet back. And I was like, holy shit, what are we going to do? This is a catastrophe. And the builders were like, LOL, like, <laughs> right? So, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes fear of the future um, is very much in our heads. What I thought was a big deal, someone else was like, no, we totally got a solution for that. And I think, I think what I have learned over the years, because um, I mean, you know, I mean, it, it's all fearful, you know, I mean, going from an associate vet to transitioning to ownership and going, you know, once in ownership, going from 20 employees to now 60 going on 90, you know, I mean, it's, it's all nerve wracking the entire time. Um, and I think ultimately, um, uh, Katie had actually heard this advice on NPR and I've pretty much, I didn't know I was living by it. Um, but it's that you write your plans and stand and your goals in stone. And a big part of it is that plans are always going to change. You got to make sure those goals are down and this is what I want and this is what I'm aiming for. And, um, actually our, um, director of design, he's, um, he, he, he left the organization as an employee. He's still an independent contractor for design. Um, and I gave him the same exact advice, you know, plans and sand, goals and stone. But I think the actual answer is trust in who you are as a person. Know that you're smart. Know that you're adaptive. Know that you have the ability to change things if things need to be changed. And you have a plan. And that plan is to, this is exactly where I think I'm going. Um, but plans aren't goals. So we have to say, well, what really is it? How do I actually want to end my career and shoot the fucking moon on it? And that, that's essentially what Paw Health is. I mean, and, and we, I mean, we joke about it when Ben made me leave the room, and that's fine, is that, you know, it's shooting the moon on these things. Mm -hmm. I want to make a substantial impact on the industry, on the industry. All I think about when I drive from Wisconsin to Michigan is holy crap, this is a lot of land. Holy moly, how many clinics are between me and there? How am I ever going to make a difference in this industry? One mind at a time. So it's one of these where you have to shoot the moon on some of these big goals and know that's what I want out of life and never stop and run towards it and trust yourself that you're smart, you're intelligent, and you will get it if you don't have a failure mindset. If you embrace a growth mindset through your life, I'm in a testament to it, eternally optimistic. If I fail, it's only because I'm gonna grow after I figure out why I failed, and that is it. Keep bettering yourselves, and then you get there. So I respect that one, two, three-year plan, five-year, 10-year, 15 plan, I get it. But a little bit of a soul-searching, 
How, what, what is it that you actually want? Maybe not even out of the profession, but what do you want out of the industry? You know, if I've said it in podcasts before, is that, you know, one of the things my great-grandmother told my grandfather, who then ultimately told me when I was eight, he said, life's split into three stages, learning, earning, and yearning. So for me, it was like, all right, I got out of vet school when I was 23, so that means I need to retire when I'm 46, uh, and I need to die when I'm 69. That's, that's essentially how my life was split out. So it's, you know, it's kind of taking those little fundamentals where it's like, all right, that means I have, once I got out of school, I have 23 years to race towards the goal of yearning for 23 years. So that's essentially what has driven me the whole time, and I'm uh, 39, so I got seven years left, right? So, you know, whether I hit that mark, I don't know. We'll find out in seven years, and I'll let you know. But, <laughs> so, but the idea is you just entrust in yourself, and that's, and that's why, like I said, it, it really... I really hate that we come out of school with that challenge self-worth. We question ourselves, we question everything, we question our confidence, we know who we were when we were getting in. Think about how you felt when you got into veterinary school. How amazing was that feeling? You worked how much time to finally get there and then you got in, it's like, oh my God, I made it. Whatever your story was, whatever your path was, the reality is we all started on day one the same way. But for some reason that spark's lost by the time we come out of school. We don't have that spark as much as we did when we first got in, right? Maybe we do, but overall the industry tells us we don't, you know, or shows us we don't. So it's really a matter of, like I said, maintaining that self-worth and really leaning into yourself that you got here. You got here, you're gonna get through it and the rest of your career is gonna be successful because you're not gonna let it be anything other than successful. So a little bit of motivational talk there I, for you. I think you also have to focus on like what makes you happy because yeah. I like I'm the epitome of my veterinary career not going as I had planned it. Um, I did not ever see myself doing small animal medicine. I thought I was going to be a cow vet and only a cow vet. And my backup plan was to work in public health because I thought that I never wanted to be in private practice. Well, small animal private practice. And that's exactly what I'm doing now. And that's all I'm doing. Amazing so, at it, by the way. Amazing at it. <laughs> <laughs> telling so telling me I, that she can't transition from large animals, small animals, and challenge right? accepted. I think I may. I think I make people's head spin when I tell them that I worked at 100% dairy practice my first year out of vet school in California. Like, talk about a 360 degree backflip. <laughs> um, but I think. You know, because when I got out of vet school, I know I had talked to my like mentor at the time. My goal was. I wanted to be somebody who made an impact or made a difference in my chosen career field. And at the time I thought that meant that I really wanted to be a good cow vet and like be a person who presented at ABP. And, you know, not that I ever wanted to, you know, specialize or anything like that, but I wanted to be known for, you know, hold, kind of holding up gold standard, I guess, of, of medicine and, and be progressing the field and all that stuff. And I think when I decided to leave large animal and was like really doing some soul searching about it, you have to focus on the fact that like, what makes you happy? What works for you? What, like, I just focused on fulfillment and like, what was fulfilling me at that time? And like, learning. Learning is what fulfills me. Um, I'm a highly theoretical person. 
and then sharing that learning with other people is like kind of the back half of that. Like once, you know, like Riolo said, he's kind of beyond that stage of the initial doctoring and now gets more fulfillment out of passing that on and teaching other people. So I think when you feel like you're starting to lose your way or you feel like you're not achieving what you want to be achieving, you just need to focus on what's, what's feeling, what's, what gives you fulfillment, what, it sounds really stupid, but what brings you joy (laughs) if you want to go all Marie Kondo, so. And actually gets back to one of the initial questions too on, you know, how would you make an impact as a relief vet? And again, it still all comes back to that. It's, it's all we talk about all the time is fulfillment, fulfillment, Mm -hmm. fulfillment, fulfillment. We don't talk about it enough, you know, uh, because that gets challenged. It gets challenged along the way, constantly, every day, especially if you got people shouting in your face. You know, it's yeah. really hard, you mm-hmm. know. But we don't let that happen. No. <laughs> we, we minimize the hell out of that. So um, what else? Good questions, guys. A lot of good stuff. There's got to be more out there. What you got, Jane? sometimes take advantage of that, not gonna lie. Um, but for a work schedule, so I know MSU, the vet hospital, they have a, they set new hours, you know, after you work this many hours, you gotta take 10 hours off. I can envision myself on externships, going places, say, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll work, sure. I'll stay late, I'll do this. Um, so what to use an acceptable schedule for a fourth year student on an externship? So I don't kill myself. Um, yeah, I mean, I hate to be cliche and come back to fulfillment, you know, and just being like, you know, I mean, if working, yeah, I mean, if working 80 hours a week is going to fulfill you in that time, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we all have our limits, and I think um, knowing your limits is going to be a big part of that, and then. When for extended periods of time you don't listen to your limits and your body tries to tell you that you should have limits and then you keep pushing past that and then every 18 months you wind up in the ER and it's just kind of a whole thing and everyone's like you did it again to yourself, Riolo. Oh, he's over yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. No, there you go. Now there. you got it, Carol. Now I've got it. She's pointing down at you right now. Yes. <laughs> so he's the epitome yeah. of that. Yeah. So I think I think a part of it is kind of knowing your limits um, and knowing that it is okay to say no. Um, I think 40 hours is 40 hours, you know? I mean, it's, I, I think it's pretty fair, it's pretty reasonable. Um, there are uh, actually a different student at a different university that uh, we've had with us for a few years. Um, she took this uh, uh, perceived as a really cool uh, wildlife experience down on the eastern coast, I believe. Um, it was like 16 hour days for three weeks straight. She's oh. like, we were nonsense workhorses. She was like, I didn't really get to do a whole lot of stuff. I was just cleaning up like scat all day. She's like, that's not fun, but she was in it, you know? So um, yeah, I I think we're all at risk for that. Um, And actually kind of coming back to the relief question, it's sometimes not not as much as how much are you willing to take on as a student, but like a lot of it is, are are you comfortable putting up barriers? Like, are are you really comfortable with um, setting that line of work life? and uh, making sure that, you know, you do have um, that balance, 
you know? I mean, I, I think that's kind of a bigger question. And if clinics have to beat it into you that, hey, guess what? You need to create some barriers. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's what you learn going through externships, you know, is use that right. as an opportunity to teach yourself what those limits are. <clears throat> and then when you hit 30 and then when you hit 40 and then you know, those, those time limits are going to change and all that kind of stuff. But that was what I was going to say. Is yeah. the, the other <laughs> thing you have to be ready to do is adjust those yeah. limits because yeah. your yeah. physical health changes, your mental health changes, your uh, personal life needs change, right? Life is a lot more adaptable than you are unfortunately. So you're going to, at some point, you're going to have to roll it back and it's going to be like, shit, yeah. what's going to fall through the cracks? Yeah. What, how mad are people going to be when like this version of me that existed for the last six months, last year, last five years, absolutely busted her butt because it was really fulfilling and I had the time and the energy and the resources to, to do it. And now I don't. I don't at all. Like, I'm fried. I'm completely freaking burned out, and I have yeah. no idea how to get out of this. Sometimes that means you leave. Yeah. If it's, it's you know, yeah. th there is a portion of that, but you don't necessarily want that to be the yeah. answer. It's, it's yeah. readying yourself for... I, I had to do that. Yeah. It was not easy. Yeah. I pushed myself through the cheese grater for six months because it was like, I can't not do this because I've been doing it for the last year. Yeah. And what's going to happen if I don't? And I'll tell you what the problems started to solve themselves as soon as I removed myself from the situation, yeah. but it was not comfortable yeah. at all. So there's, it's two-sided for yeah. sure. And, and people will always take. So, That's true. you know, it mm -hmm. is that, um, and when you do set that boundary and they aren't allowed to take as much, um, they're going to do everything in their power to take more. And, you know, uh, just as kind of a business, for instance. So uh, pre-COVID, our growth curve was still exponential. It's just now it's insanely exponential. It's continued to be exponential. <sighs> anyway, so we had a plan business-wise going in that we were going to try to serve more of the curve, right? So we talk about middle 60%. We we're going to try to do more at the lower end, uh, helping more clients come through. Um, and actually, honestly, what I was doing, I had a whole talk. Was it with Heska? I don't remember who it was. But it was um, all about uh, portfolio diversification. It was Heska. And was it Heska? Yeah. yeah. So it was more of, as a clinic, are you a one-trick pony? So is this a cat clinic? Um, or is there a way to di diversify what those services are? How are we making money? How is it coming in? How are we staffing? What's our hours? What's our appointments? What are we doing? So that if we do have a drop in any one of those items, we have something else to sort of continue to maintain revenue on. And basically what I was preparing for is um, I got a school in 2006, 2008 was the economic crash. So for me, I had the opportunity as an associate veterinarian to go through a time where cash went to zero um, and actually see how the clinics that thrived, thrived, and the clinics that failed, failed. So coming into what we were coming into, um, as we started to gain more um, uh, abilities, uh, more staff, things like that, is I'm like, I don't actually know when it's going to happen, but I think it would be probably in my best interest to plan for the next economic crisis. I am not an economist. I don't know when that's going to happen, but it happened once in my career, and that was pretty early in my career. So uh, what we had then done was um, 
started to plan. We started doing pre-scheduled appointments. We started doing wellness after hours. We started having wellness plans. We cut uh, space neuters. There's a lot of stuff that we were doing. Dentals, you know, all these things were starting to kind of expand out as a 24-hour clinic. You would never think about going to a clinic that took off your dog's leg and spleen being the same clinic that you're going to get the teeth cleaned at. Not always the same place that happens at. COVID hit. We had this huge spike right? And, and just all the spillover clientele from the clinics that were curbside um, that were, went from 30 patients a day to 10 patients a day. Well, you still have 20 patients that aren't being served and there's 50 clinics in your referring district. Hello, phone calls. So for us, and this way, kind of getting back to it, uh, is that we had a lot of clients that we had on pre-schedules. We had a lot of clients that were wellness. We had a lot of clients that were, they had this um, service that we were providing them. Well, we were kind of holding on out to the bitter end to be like, ah, oh, paw clients, paw clients. We got to make sure that we got these appointments for these paw clients, paw clients, paw clients. Finally, May rolled around. It's like, fuck it. We can't. We can't. We can't continue to handle the volume of the 24-hour walk-in and all of the wellness stuff. Well, you know who hung around? The givers. You know who left? The takers. Mm-hmm. You know, the givers are like... <laughs> You guys are getting freaking hammered. They're like, I just need to get some vaccines. Can I drop my dog off like before work and I'll come sometime tonight and pick it up? Yes. Those people stayed. The people that are like, you guys, I'm not coming back. You don't even have pre-schedules. I don't want you back. I don't, I, don't, I don't want your business. Even if I needed your business, I don't want it. Because then what? You're, you're bitching and moaning about a schedule right now? What, what happens when a pop stitches on a laceration repair? It, it, it popped because you didn't have the e-collar on and your dog was whip-shitting around the yard. Your stitch doesn't hold. Yeah. <laughs> it, maybe. <laughs> right? So some of that stuff. So I think part of it is when you start to set those boundaries and you start to take things away from people that they're used to having, they're going to do everything in their power. And a lot of times, I mean, because communication in our country is shit. No one knows how to talk to anyone anymore. Right? We're all stuck in our own heads. We don't have sense as a community anymore. So it's like, well, I'm just going to keep battering this person until they give me what I want. It's like, there's the door. Right? And then they start screaming, there's the panic button. You know? So we have ways of removing people from our clinic that we don't want there. And it, we embrace that idea. So maybe that answers the question. But uh. <laughs> I think we've... So we've also talked in the past, I don't know if it's on podcast or just personally, but we've talked about running your life as triage. And I oh, think yeah. if you try to take that approach, it does help to some extent. Um, you know, when you're a student and you're in vet school and your goal is to learn and cram as much shit into your brain in as short amount of time as possible, then that's probably the highest priority on your triage things like sleep and eating and exercise fall lower. Once you graduate and you are trying to give yourself more work-life balance and a, and a healthier kind of well-rounded approach, then those other things start to kind of creep back up again in triage. I mean, at some point, you know, if you're a student and you're studying and you stay up all night, you study for a test, then when you start to like fall asleep into your food, then yes, sleep hits the top of your triage and you have no other choice. But I, I have tried to take more of that approach more recently. I still struggle a lot with saying no 
and so does Riolo. So take everything he says with a grain of salt. Um, and actually, I've learned that I it's a learned behavior. It's something that you learn, I think, from your parents and those people around you. Because so random side note, my father got this award um, a few weekends ago and somebody that gave like this speech about him or whatever, that was one of the things that they praised him for is like, Oh yeah, I talked to Irwin. Cause he, he, he says yes to everybody. He literally can't say no. And my mother and a lot of the people that are sitting around him are like, that's not a compliment. Like right. you're taking advantage. You know, you get to some point where you realize like you're, he's been taken advantage of his whole life. Essentially. They're like, Oh yeah, Irwin, he'll do it for you. It's fine. So learning to learning to put up those barriers earlier is helpful. But, you know, like I said, if you kind of run it as triage and what's most important to you at this moment in your life, that does kind of help because things are going to change, you know, from day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. So. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of funny. My kids hit me with a say yes challenge. And I was like, what's a say oh, yes challenge? Yeah. And like, well, you have to say yes for the next 24 hours. And I'm like, that's, that's not happening. <laughs> and my wife, uh, Katie, she was like, wow, I think that's the first time I've ever heard you say no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? We can't, don't put Riolo in that box. <laughs> right, right. Just, he'll, he's right. more than willing to say yes. Yeah, Just don't force yeah. him to. Right, yes. Yeah. What yeah. Else you got? Did that answer your question, Jane? Yeah, yeah, sort of. Um, sort of. Yes. Like, <laughs> oh my God. Like, that's the phrase I've been looking for. Yes. Like, done. Yeah. yeah. And that has helped my time management yeah. and putting up barriers yeah. immensely to Good. think of it as actual currency. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's the game. I mean, that's what you're selling to an employer, that's what you're selling to your clients. You know, when they pay for an exam fee, that's what they're paying for is your time. You know, and it's, it's exactly right. Only one of those two variables you can make more of, you know, so it's, it's to have a really high value. And actually, oddly enough, um, Hilda and I literally were just talking about that this afternoon. Um, and one of the things that uh, actually the context of the conversation between her and I is that um, she says she often gets a lot of um, like uh, negative feedback or she gets a lot of um, you know, negative attention to the fact that she has such high standards. And she says, well, I have such high standards. So because my standards are so high, my team belly aches that they can't meet the standard. And, it's, and so her and I, we almost said it in unison. We're like, it has nothing to do with meeting the standard. It has everything with growing towards the standard. Yeah. And that's why we say, shoot the moon. It's all about aiming as high as you can go. You ain't going to get there in one day. Now... <clears throat> You know, I mean, obviously, as humans from first flight to on the moon, that was a pretty short <laughs> amount of time. Um, really? I was, We're going to get into was, an astronomy joke right now? Yes, I know, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. We're going to pull astronomy back out of this. But yes, anyway, you know, but these things can happen. I mean, I think, I think it's a wonderful story to go from first flight to landing on the moon because that happened in a lifetime, you know, and there, there was never a circumstance that anyone would have ever thought that it's when we achieved first flight that we were going to get to the moon, but somebody did. 
and they just kept working towards it, kept working towards it, and then it ultimately happened. So that's why I think, you know, like I said, we had kind of just had that joke where having these high expectations are awesome because it actually gives you something to grow towards. And that's where, again, coming to one, three, five, ten year plan, it's something to grow towards. And that's ultimately what our education system is. Our education system is built on this, where do you want to go? How can we help you get there? Where do you want to go? How can you help you get there? And sometimes getting there means you're going to grow a team locally. Sometimes it means giving back to the industry. But that's um, kind of how the education system is set, is we're in a very pragmatic way. We're trying to entice our employees, entice our coworkers to think about the future. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I just think you have to do the growing and stuff. Like part of Jane's question is like doing it in a healthy way. Yeah. Like I, I, I just learned today that apparently, um, I can't remember his full name, but Dr. Halstead, I think is, I don't know. I had to look it up afterwards, but I just learned that this guy is the father of the modern residency. Um, and then as like a side note at the bottom of it, it said, oh, he used to also do cocaine daily and worked like 100 plus hours a week on the regular. And I was like, well, that explains a lot. Like, mm-hmm. of course he did. And so, in, you know, and one of the comments that a doctor had made was that, you know, now we have women with families and pregnant doing these same residencies where people are expected to, you know, work 100 plus hours a week and and for like no money and you know, they don't get to do cocaine about it. Hi, Shanks. Well, and that's, uh, so, um, the, uh, there's actually a book that is not specifically about that, but it's, um, similar. Um, Dan Harris, if you guys know who that is, he was an ABC news, news reporter. He wrote a book called 10% happier about how basically he had a panic attack on TV. Um, because he drug, he drugged himself so much after coming home from being in Iraq for years as like a frontline guy, because oh, the only way not. that he could feel anything was on um, amphetamines essentially. And then he had a panic attack on TV and he was like, this is not working. I've overextended myself. And um, triage. Now, yeah. Well, now he <laughs> meditates. Um, that's what he does. That's his thing. He meditates. He, he chooses to elect a certain amount of time specifically for himself to recenter himself. Um, and it's not about being 100% happier. It's about being 10% happier, just that little bit. Um, and actually, Alexia dropped another uh, comment in, um, how does she start practicing saying no now? I don't know if you have any specific ideas on that one besides just do it. I mean, that's, that's the unfortunate nature of that question, is, and I, and I don't like that answer. I'm curious. Yeah, um, it definitely kind of, turns my wheels a little bit because how do you practice saying no now? Um, right. When you don't really have the option necessarily cause well, you're in school. Yeah. I, I mean, well, you do, but I, yeah, I think almost independent of that though, I guess where my brain went initially, um, is it's actually a battle more in your brain, um, than it is, uh, in practical application. Um, I think there are and is a certain amount of um, structure being in veterinary school that you're going to have to comply with certain rules, certain processes. It's kind of what it is. It's the curriculum, right? So you're not going to be able to say no to a lot of curriculum. But I think, um, and I, we talked a lot about fulfillment today. Um, and again, fulfillment can kind of change throughout your life where you're, what's making you happy. Um, and that might actually be a place to start is 
Um, rather than learning how to say no, I think it's starting by what makes you happy. Um, and then once you figure out what makes you happy, what are the barriers to your happiness? And if you can figure out what those barriers are, can you practice saying no to them? Yep. Yeah, and oh, it's I just wanted to like, maybe as like, a thought for Alexia and as a person who also struggles to say no and suggest yeah. things, I think for me when I've looked at it, it's helped me to take some time. Because I feel like a lot of time when we're posed a question and they say, hey, will you do this for me? We have to feel like we go, oh yeah, and answer right then and there. But if you give yourself just a little bit of a barrier to say, yeah. let me think about that, or yeah. um, can I text you tonight about it? Yeah. Something to like put a little barrier. Doesn't yeah. mean you're gonna say no, but at least it gives you some time to think about yourself and reflect before you initially have to say yes, and then yeah. you instantly regret it. Yeah, no, I think that's honestly really fair. Um, Katie, uh, my wife, she often gets really mad at me because I overpromise. Um, and I, I think, I, actually, I'm going to probably steal that from you. Um, but yeah, she, <laughs> that's, that's usually it, is I have such that desire to say yes and be helpful and, you know, be a part of that positive. High eye. What's that? We're yeah. Both, yes, we're the high both high eye. Yes. Yeah. Yes, for... Um, so, no, I think that's uh, probably a better answer than I came up with, but I, I think... Uh, I just, yeah, from yeah. my own experience, same thing. I want to yeah. say everything, and then I still struggle. I'm involved in everything. Yeah. Why I'm involved in everything, because I don't say no. <laughs> yes. I feel like I have to yeah. that out. My mom used to joke. She used to say, if you had an extra five minutes of a day in a day, you'd find something to fill it with. Yeah. I mean, yeah. video games, but yes. That's <laughs> <laughs> video games for five minutes. Yeah, no. Right. I think I so. can be a big part of kind of standing up for yourself um, is having that support system around you. So yeah. being yeah. able to talk to someone else about it. If you yeah. can't come up with the answer yourself if you're not sure and you're like, well, I should say yes because I don't have... I can't justify saying no. Right. If you have someone else in your corner that you can just say, well... What do you think? And they're like, no, they're totally taking advantage of you. Yeah. And it's really easy to say, like, oh, okay, well, maybe I can say no. Yeah. 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 Said, you have to listen to that person, too, because I, I hear you about, like, my boyfriend at home. He's not involved in anything. He's very different from me. He'd be like, are, are you, can you handle that? I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's like, I don't, I don't know. I think you should think about that. I'm like, no, it's fine. I got it. Like, I don't, in full, like, I don't really listen to him completely, yeah. to be honest. But, um, yeah, definitely I should probably think about that. Uh, <laughs> I, I have two, two things. I learned like a year and a half ago that if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. Uh, <laughs> fair. Like, because especially in that school, like you don't have the time necessarily yeah. to be saying yes to everything. So say yes to things you want to say yes to. Yeah. And if it's not a hell yes, you say no. And the other thing, you said you can't say no to the curriculum. And I definitely didn't say, I didn't give the curriculum, like it was like top priority until right like the last class of first year I think yeah and then it and then it became a priority again and then it didn't like the last two months of second year and then I was like you know what I want to read a book no curriculum no yeah. and my grades were fine like yeah. like if you're putting in the work like you you can still like you can still say no to little things like you can say no, I'm not studying right now. I'm going to go eat dinner with people I enjoy and that Oof. give me fulfillment and give me happiness. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely mailed it in like all of third year, I can say. Like by third year, because Iowa State is a little bit different curriculum. We have first three years are academic and then you don't get a break in between your third year 
and like so you you finish your final exams at the in the spring of your third year and then you immediately go into clinics until you graduate the following spring um and most of third year it was like oh monday night is martini night tuesday night is taco tuesday wednesday night is mug night thursday night is thirsty thursday and then friday saturday sunday day drinking Jesus. it's fine i'm just gonna alcoholism say we're not officially as, condoning alcoholism no 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 yes it took me a lot of time afterwards to realize that vet school i used alcohol as a crutch for sure um but my point is that I embraced the bottom 20% of like grades. I was the bottom of my class because somebody's got to be. And thankfully I wasn't trying to get into internship. I wasn't trying to like go on and specialize. So I actually was quite comfortable with it. And I, you know, I was fortunate enough. I, you know, passed Navli, got a job, I'm a veterinarian. And I like to think I'm a good veterinarian. You don't have to get all A's. You can get D's. It's fine. Um, and yeah, I I distinctly remember we had an equine test um, during third year and all of my classmates, there was a Macklemore concert and all of my classmates that had tickets besides my roommate and my other friend, they all bailed because they were like, we need to study for this equine test. And I was like, you know what? I don't really care. I'd rather go to the Macklemore concert. And I'm pretty sure I passed by the skin of my teeth, and I don't regret going to the Macklemore concert <laughs> in the slightest. <laughs> so, yeah. You know what we got to do mm. right now? What? We have to decide who won the costume contest because we definitely Ooh. scheduled this for an hour and a half. Amy and, it's and been an Jane hour and are both pointing minutes. to <laughs> Brie. There, I mean, for what it's worth. For, for what it's worth, originality. Brie is definitely yes. wearing testicles. That's fair. Uh, I believe, All right. uh, Caroline, if I recall so correctly, you did want to be a part of the judging process. So, well. I mean, I volunteered myself. Who all is judging? We're just going to make it your decision because if you make the wrong decision, we don't get punched. That's real rude, but okay. How many places are there? Is it like one, two, three? Yeah. Oh, we're doing one, two, three? All right. Yeah. You the first oh, okay. I mean, I would totally give Brie first place. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Because I agree, wearing testicles is a commitment. And then I, I think I have to go with the, uh, oh my God, the rebellion. Luke Skywalker. Yes. Episode Love four. it. And then, and then the White Ranger. Yeah. Because that helmet is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty legit. It's got like side clasps. Yeah, I know. Oh my god, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, round of applause. Good yes, job. For good job, guys. Good job. Very good. Thank you all for hanging out. If any, and actually, now that I'm thinking about it, actually, too, I take it all back. I'm giving Shanks first place. <laughs> <laughs> I take it back. Um. I don't know if anybody is hanging besides Caroline is hanging out at home in a costume that is currently is still with us on Zoom. But if oh you are, God. now's your time. You got a chance. Coming in for the wild card. Coming in for the wild card. I'm not gonna let you guys it's we're to go the five, four, three, two, one. No. Nope. Dang nope. it. That's all right. I get it. 
Um, uh, ben should get at least a um, acknowledgement for being a Spartan for the day. Honorable mention. Honorable mention. Yes. Yes. And I get to do it tomorrow too. Yeah. 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 Well, you're certainly thing. not going to be a fucking Michigan. Fan. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. By you? Yeah. No. Yeah. The yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. I just felt like that was a very proximate threat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you had on U of M regalia and then a MAGA hat, that would be that would be a whole guaranteed. thing. It'd be a whole thing. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. It Let's would be a costume. It. it would be. It would be someone's reality. <laughs> <laughs> so we hit Mr. 90 minutes huh? we're, we, pretty we're, good? we are at 100 minutes 100 minutes, okay um, We did it Dr. Riolo, as uh, habit and tradition would have it oh. I believe that it is your yes. turn to take us out of this week's podcast Yes, yes Alright guys, thanks for tuning in for this live session of podcast We'll see you next time I'm just ending this There we go There we go Nailed We'll it. add the outro later Yes, Demoline. I have a question for intended purposes that I was taking here.